Lord, at the beginning of another ministry year, we bless your name for your past grace. You have been so faithful to us. According to your promise, you have been faithful. We deserve none of what you have given us. It's all to the praise of your glory. And we delight in what you have done in our lives and here at Calvary Bible Church, in the lives of your people, how you continue to keep us under the sway of your spirit. You preserve us. You move us forward in our sanctification. We are more like Jesus, I, I trust, after another year of ministry than we were before. And I pray, Father, if that's not true of anyone here, that you would grant them the repentance you've granted us. Lord, we love you and we praise you for these things and for what you will do in the future. Fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your word. Fill us with a passion for mission and ministry. And may you be glorified in it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning is normally one of the highlights of the year because typically on the second Sunday of September, we have what we call Vision Sunday. It's not a time to have visions, and that joke I always throw out there, and it never works. But uh, this year, however, we have so much vision going on already that we have come to the conclusion that it would be foolhardy for us to add anything on top of what we have. The plan for casting vision, therefore, has been postponed until... January, which seems to be the more appropriate date, at which time we suspect there will be much to announce regarding the launch of the new church plant and all the ministry opportunities and needs, both here at the Mother Church and at the new church and at our previous church plant, which is always in need. And so we're not going to spend a lot of time on that this morning. I will, however, just highlight a few things. Uh, according to our fallible, dependent plan, here are some things that, that might whet your appetite for what's coming. First of all, the church plant. Of course, I trust if you've been here for uh, more than a week or two, you already know about our church plant and uh, that this is the biggest thing on our radar right now. Uh, you may remember last year on Vision Sunday that I stood before you, before this sacred desk, and I said to you, Something like this, church, our church growth plan for this coming year consists of this. We need 70 or 80 of you to leave. <laughs> and this is not the first time that I've said this, and this will not be the first church that we've planted either. And, and to be sure, um, one year later, here we are, standing on this part of the plan that God has blessed with approximately 70 people who have committed to being sent out on mission to plant another solid biblical church in the area. That number, 70, by the way, is not 70 adults. It includes all of their children. So that means there's only six or seven adults, right? <laughs> not really, but... But the parents and the children who have committed uh, all of these founding members of our new church plant, um, Christ Fellowship Bible Church, will be having 
their first training and fellowship meeting next week. Uh, so far, our, our church plant, we, we liken it to an airplane. It's been in the hangar now for half a year as we have constructed it and, and worked on it and, and built on it and tried to support it and, and keep it moving forward. Now, now we're kind of on the runway, uh, the runway. And in January, we will be picking up speed very rapidly. And so pray for us on this. Um, in Mansfield, if, if you live in the region around Mansfield, Texas, then I want to encourage you to stop going to Calvary Bible Church and start attending Living Hope Bible Church, which is pastored by my former associate, Brent Osterberg. He's an excellent, excellent preacher. It's a great work, and they need a lot of help. They're a church plant, and they have under 100 people, and they need you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and if God has gifted you, which always go together, then if you live down there, don't drive all the way up here. Maybe there's exceptions to that, but, uh, but think long and hard before you decide that you're an, you're an exception to that. On the other hand, if you live in the northwestern region of Fort Worth between Saginaw and Eagle Mountain Lake, we want to encourage you to consider joining the initiative of planning fellowship, uh, uh, Christ Fellowship Bible Church. And if you're interested in figuring out how you can be a part of that or you want to ask questions, or maybe you weren't at the first few meetings. All of those have been recorded. Uh, you can talk to Keith. Keith, raise your hand. And Matt Scheffler, see here? He's down the hall. So Matt, raise your hand. And uh, just like we can't see you, everybody down there can see you, and, and they can talk to you about it. Um, and so there's room. There's room. And, and they need help as well. A second issue here is the office building. Again, if you're new at Calvary, you may not realize that the building that sits on the west parking lot is not a fully operational office building. Uh, it, is, um, it, it still needs work, and we are working hard on it. And this week is going to be a big week for us as we hope uh, that a lot of it comes together here toward the end. It's our hope that it will be fully operational within a month's time. And we're certainly getting close, and, and maybe on that Sunday morning when it's finally ready to open, we can have some kind of fanfare. I think we talked about this morning with the elders that maybe after the service we'll just open the building, we'll put snacks on the farthest room in the building. So, you know, like cheese at the end of the maze, you'll be able to go through <laughs> the whole building and find the snacks at the end. Um, and, and then in keeping with our conviction to remain debt-free, and let me just remind you that we are down to the wire, and we only have, of the $75,000 we asked you for, uh, we are down to our, our final 13000 And praise the Lord for that. That's, that's, uh, that's amazing. Uh, we praise God for your generosity and ask you to consider uh, whether or not the Lord is laying it on your heart to give to this effort, and I won't also re remind you, or maybe you haven't known this, that Misty Micah is going to have a garage sale or a, a I don't know what to call it, a garage sale uh, on October 19th. It's going to be at that little, I think the Lutheran church on, on um, Williams Road over in North Benbrook. And we'll give you more information about that, but that's October 19th. And all of the proceeds to that are going to go to the office building. Some of what's going to be sold is pretty much everything that is in those pods over here on the, um, 
over here on the, on the parking lot, the west parking lot. Um, our old desks, our old bookshelves, all of that, all of it's going to go. Uh, all of it must go, blue light clearance special, and if you want any of that stuff, come and buy it on October 19th, and we'll give you uh, more information about where to go to get there. And then uh, we want to ask you again, and I hope this is on your radio, radar all the time, probably not as, as much as it is for me, but I hope to, uh, to raise the bar on this relative to your frequency of prayer with regard to replacing Keith. Now, obviously, no one can replace Keith or Katie. Um, and amen. That's, you know, I don't get a whole lot of amens, and you guys just got an amen. And uh, so be affirmed by that. This is a major, major, major decision, and we don't take that lightly. And we have been praying, and every Sunday morning, early in the morning, we meet together for prayer, and we always pray that God would grant us mercy, that he would not allow us to choose someone that wouldn't be the, the, the perfect choice. I mean, we're not going to get Jesus to take this position, but, um, but somebody who is gifted and someone who will fit in with this body and be and able to do the things that Keith has done. And so, um, aside from that, we need new ministry leaders. The church plant is really going to take some key people away from Calvary. And so, if you've been sitting around waiting for a light bulb or waiting from a voice from above, listen up. <laughs> Here comes the voice from above. <laughs> you are called to minister in this church. If you are in this church, you are called to minister here. And there is about to be a bunch of ministry needs. Uh, we need musicians and singers and instrumentalists. We need men and women, mostly women, who will invest time and the effort necessary to join our team of counselors. And by the way, if you want to get the training for that, if you're a member of Calvary Bible Church and you're thinking, you know, maybe I should get the training and, 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 and consider whether or not God wants me to pursue that further and become a counselor at Calvary Bible Church, this is vital ministry. And if you're a member of Calvary Bible Church and you want to go to the training, which starts this coming week, uh, or next week, then we, um, we will pay for it. We will send you. If you've never been to the training before and you're a Calvary Bible Church member, we will pay for it. And so go. We want you to be trained. We want you to be trained. Um, and, um, and then we have leadership. Oh, there's a lot of other things as well. We need help, and we're going to need help with our children's ministry. We're sending a lot of key people away. We need help with our teenagers. We're going to need help with college and career. We're going to need help with a lot of things. Awana. And all the Awana leaders said, amen. amen, that's right. And praise the Lord for the new leaders who have already stepped up into Awana. We praise God for you. I prayed for you, I think, last week. And we just want to affirm, we're so grateful for you to, for making that commitment and, um, and for others who have stepped up to the plate as well already. And then there's leadership training. One of our commitments as a church is to really focus on training men. And we've got some wonderful things uh, that are designed to train the women as well. But training the men is critical for us. We have a men's ministry. Uh, somebody complained that there's no code, uh, there's no decoder in the bulletin that, to tell what the acronyms mean. So ISI is Iron Sharpens Iron, and it's our men's ministry. And one group is going to be meeting on Saturday morning, that starts September 21st, and the other is on Thursday morning, that starts on the 22nd. All of that's in your bulletin or will be shortly. And also, Jason and I are preparing just in a week or two 
to fly out to California to Chris Mueller's church where they have a fantastic uh, leadership training, more of a formal leadership training relative to training in theology and life and all the things that you would need to become an elder in a local church, whether it's this church or somewhere else. And we're going out there to learn just for a few days. And our hope is that we will be ready to launch that ministry one year from now, almost essentially one year from today. And so pray about that with us. Uh, a lot of work needs to be done. A lot of work Jason needs to get done <laughs> on that. <laughs> and there's a lot more to say, and we don't have time to say it. I also want you to know, and I've mentioned this already this morning, that this is Lord's Table Sunday. Now, I just want to say something to you men. Men, just put your crash helmet on now and pull your seatbelt real tight because you're about to get convicted. I've already repented <laughs> to my wife, and, uh, and many of you will as well, I think, after today. So stand with me and turn to Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8. I'm a skill of Asaph. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known, that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generations the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the, wondrous, and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they, sh so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but to keep his commandments and that he should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. May the Lord bless the reading of his word, and you can be seated. I realize my time is short this morning because the priority is the Lord's table, and so I want to leave plenty of time for that. There are two things I love to see in this world. I love to see lost people come to Christ, and I love to see children born into Christian homes. I love a lot of other things as well, but these are precious to God. And this is especially true when the parents are committed to leading their children into the life, a life of worship and love. They are, are devoted, these parents are devoted to teaching their kids to love God with all of their heart and to love the people around them as they love themselves. And here at Calvary Bible Church, we have a purpose statement that we recite every time I remember to recite it. If you don't know it, it's in your bulletin. It's also posted on the wall right outside this door, and it goes like this. Say it with me, both here and down the hall. If you could say this out loud with me, let's recite it together. We exist to proclaim the excellencies of Christ in all things to the glory of God in the joy of all peoples. And I'm not going to unpack all of that this morning, except to say, this is why we live. We exist 
to proclaim the excellencies of Christ in every aspect of our lives. And that means, in part, that we do that at home. We lift high, we make Christ preeminent in our homes. And so parenting for us is not just a matter of keeping our kids well-fed and entertained and educated until they leave for college. Oh, blessed day. (laughs) No, we have an ambition that is significantly higher than that because Jesus is worthy of more. When Asaph, the chief musician of Old Testament Israel, wrote what we have come to call the 78th Psalm, I wonder if he intended it to be sung in worship services like this one. Perhaps he wanted parents to sing it on the day their child was born, or maybe it was a song that was sung when a child was brought to the temple like Jesus was that day. And holding their children up before God, maybe they prayed something like this, Oh Lord God, these children of mine are precious gifts from your hand. They are yours, and you have entrusted them to us. Help us, we pray to raise them, to follow hard after you and find in you everything that their soul desires. I suspect if Asaph were here today, he would want to stand together with us and sing this song of sacred blessing and solemn warning. And the reason I wonder that is because these are the themes we discover in this song that we call the 78th Psalm. So this morning, I think it would benefit us as a church by hearing the message of Psalm 78. As you know, I've been working through some psalms. This is a big jump from Psalm 4 to Psalm 78. But in full disclosure, honestly, I think with all the young families that I've already mentioned, one of the biggest things, one of the most helpful things we can do as church and as as an older pastor who's almost finished raising his kids and the ministry team here is to help you think about what it means to be a godly parent. How do you raise these little munchkins? (laughs) How do you train them to love Jesus and not kill each other before they leave the home? And so this morning... I want to kind of kickstart that, and then in the future we'll talk more about it. For the most part, this psalm is a song of Israel's history of, let me be clear, unfaithfulness. Most of this psalm is about Israel's unfaithfulness to the Lord and the suffering that resulted under God's judgment. It is also a call for parents to take seriously their call to raise their children to, listen carefully, to put their confidence in God. Asaph's goal here, I believe, is to remind the people that God is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to chide and swift to bless as we sing. And the surest path to his abundant blessing is found in being diligent to train our children to delight in the Lord. But how do we as parents secure that blessing upon our families? What does the Bible reveal that will equip us to raise our children in a manner that's pleasing to the Lord? Well, Psalm 78 doesn't tell us everything that we should know about parenting from God's Word, but it does tell us, it gives us uh, at least three important issues to consider. And let's talk about them. Here, here are the three. Number one, 
the ultimate subject of child training. Number two, the wonderful purpose of child training. And number three, the frightening danger of child training. So let's begin with verses one through four. One through four, the ultimate subject of child training. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. Now, for the sake of time here, let me just tell you that from the start, we need to understand that the parables or the dark sayings that he mentions here, uh, it's simply a a poetic, a Hebrew poetry kind of way to speak of the Word of God. We know this because he describes the dark sayings as things which we have heard and known, which our fathers have told us. Those are the things we are to tell our children. Eventually, these truths were written down so that uh, more people could hear about it uh, right off the pages of Scripture. But until then, parents primarily were given the responsibility to pass it down to their children orally. And so Asaph says in verse 4, we will not conceal them from our children, but tell to the generation to come. Now this is important. Asaph is having the people sing. This is a song, right? He's having the people sing a covenantal commitment to God by their children and with their children. And the commitment is this, Lord, we promise that we will not conceal your word in our home. We will not conceal. The word conceal here in the Hebrew and in the English for that matter means to hide. We will not hide your word in plain sight. I mean, how many Bibles do you have in your home? Is the word of God hidden in plain sight in your home? We will not hide your word from our children. We won't conceal it in a dark place. We won't keep it a secret from them. And so, friends, I, I need to say to you that this is the starting block for Christian parenting. And it is a starting block that too many, and dare I say most, Christian dads and moms never stand upon. They go to church send their kids to student ministries or whatever, but it's not happening in the home. Uh, in my experience, this, is, this has always been the case in the church. And as I told you this week, I have become laxed in this in my own home and had to ask my wife forgiveness of this this week. So I'm not asking you to do anything that I am unwilling to do or don't believe I need to do. This is a constant battle, and we need to battle it every day. This is critical for the health and well-being and the joy of our children and of their parents. We are called upon to give them the Word of God, and I'm, t I'm here to tell you this morning that this is a failure of the first order, if it is a failure. This is our first responsibility toward our families. Why is it that we think family worship is a secondary, optional thing that we can get around to someday when it's convenient? Why, why have I ever thought that? Moms and dads, this is a first-order 
discipline in our homes. Now, if that hasn't struck you yet, let me read to you what Arthur Pink so painfully says in his book on this subject. He says, It is not enough that we pray as private individuals in our closets. We are required to honor God and our families as well. Each day, the whole household should be gathered together to bow before the Lord, parents and children, masters and servants, to confess their sins, to give thanks to God for his mercies, to seek his help and blessing. Nothing must be allowed to interfere with this duty. All other domestic arrangements are to bend to it. If we would enjoy the blessing of God upon our families, then let, it, then let its members gather daily for praise and prayer. Those who honor me, I will honor, is his response. You say, well, I have never been to seminary. Uh, you don't have to go to seminary. Here, do three things. Read, sing, and pray. In our family, it's a little different. It's sing... Read and pray. But those are the three components of a basic time with God. You can read a passage of Scripture and talk to your family about what you see and ask them what they see in the text. What is your highest goal for your children? This is the question. Is it a liberal arts education? Is it skills necessary to get a good job? Is it the kind of social presence that will land you a, a wonderful spouse? No, the important, most important goal on our agenda as parents should be to write on the hearts of our children the word of God and fill their hearts with love for God and God's love for them. Look at verse 5. He says, He, that is God, established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel. Jacob and Israel, same person, same nation which he commanded to our fathers to teach to their children. Now, where did he do that? Where did he teach Israel, Jacob, the nation, and the people to do that? And you know the answer probably to this, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your altar, on, on your doorposts and on the frontals between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates." And what's he saying? He's not saying literally to wrap your head with this box on your head or wrap your arms like, like the Jews do today or, or, or take the, you know, when I go over to Israel, they're always trying to sell the mezuzah. It's, it's this little long elongated box that you can stick a scripture in. You nail it to the doorpost and when a, when a family is trying to be faithful, when they walk through the door, they, they kiss their hand and touch the mezuzah. Uh, acknowledging the word of God as they go in and as they come out, as they go in and as they come out. Uh, you got to wonder, though, if they even know what the scripture is inside of it and has it made it to their heart. The Lord knows. In any case, Moses is saying to parents, there is only one God 
And your responsibility is to love him and to do everything you can to teach your children to love him. But there's more to be said here because it's possible to work hard at having your children hear God's word, even memorize God's word, send them to Awana, they'll come home with scripture memorized. But it might not ever make it to their heart. That's not the Awana teacher's fault. It's not your Sunday school teacher's fault. That's not student ministry leader's fault. The responsibility rests on dad and mom at home. You know, they may learn the words here, but they'll pick up the passion there at home. So we need to ask Asaph, what is it from the Word of God that we should focus on if we're wanting the hearts of our children to be stirred and to to love God, that their affections be pointed toward God? And there are three things that he focuses on. These are certainly not the only things, but number one, the glorious deeds of the Lord. Secondly, his might. Third, his wonders which he has done. And so the first things we should tell them are the glorious deeds of the Lord, or the New American Standard says the praises of the Lord. And I take that to mean, tell them about the things which God, for which God is worthy of praise. And I think it would be easier to name the things that he's not worthy of praise for. I mean, everything that you have is a matter, it should be a matter of thanksgiving and praise to God. In other words, teach them about the glorious and infinite attributes of God as he has revealed himself and in what he has done. So let's talk about how he has revealed himself, first of all. And we could spend a whole sermon, maybe should spend a sermon on every one of these and more. But first of all, teach them about the immensity of God. Teach them about the immensity of God. Explain to them that at every opportunity how big God is. When you look into the sky at night, you're talking about the stars and space between them and around them, and the fact that the universe is so big, some people think it's, e- they think it's eternal. Tell them, God is bigger still. And teach them about the love of God. Explain to them that his love for his people, even when they sin against him, is so unimaginably full and overflowing that human words are inadequate to describe it. You know, parents, sometimes your kids get into a a loop of rebellion and it's because we've never taught them how to get out of it. God has provided by his grace forgiveness and cleansing. Do we teach them? Do we teach them about the love of God and the mercy of God? One hymn writer unfolds it like this. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the sky of parchment made if every stalk on earth a quill and every scribe, every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky. I love that song. Between great is thy faithfulness and the love of God, those are, I mean, do those at my funeral, would you? (laughs) Teach them the infinite love of God. Teach them about the grace of God. Tell them about his omniscience. Tell them about his omnipresence and his humility, the humility of God, how he humbled himself to become one of us so that he could save us. 
in a thousand ways teach them that God is worthy of their joyful, awestruck adoration. Teach them the praises of the Lord. One of the things we've done over the years, because I, I, you guys may not know this, but I learned this from the cups, and I've probably said this before to them, but uh, when, whenever we see a, a glorious sunset or the majesty of God on display, we've learned to say, isn't God good? Your children need to hear that. They need to learn to say that. Isn't God magnificent? And they'll only learn it if we model it. Second, teach them about his strength, his mighty deeds. Remind them again and again that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe, especially in this generation to come. They're going to need a place to run. They're going to need a place for security. And the Lord says, I am your mighty fortress. I am your strong tower. Run to me. Run to me. Show them that he is their keeper, their protector. Show them that it is safe to take risks for God because he is your strong tower. Teach them to give their lives away in his service, either here or among the nations or both, wherever his fame is not yet spread. And tell the stories about how Men and women of the past have laid down their lives for the gospel. Have them read their biographies, or better yet, read them to them. Oh, how we need an army of young men and women to rise up in fearless devotion and lay down their lives for God, believing that to live is Christ and to die is gain. They won't do it unless they're convinced, as Paul was, that God is able to keep whatever we have committed to him against that day, and that we are safe in his arms, and that security outside of him is a myth. And so dads and moms, we're the ones who must convince them. It's our job. It's our job. And thirdly, teach them the wondrous works, his wondrous works, God's wondrous works. Speak to them about how the Lord has answered your prayers and done exceeding abundantly beyond all that we have asked for or imagined. Israel was to remind their children often about how God had miraculously rescued them from Egypt after 400 years of slavery and how God parted the Red Sea and they walked across on dry ground, how he provided water from a rock they teach them the old biblical stories of his wondrous works and then show them that God is still in the business of answering prayer when we have need and we call out to him. And by the way, let me encourage you also to keep a record. Keep some kind of record of God's answers. It will encourage you in years to come to look back on God's past grace, to bolster you and strengthen you, strengthen you as you Seek, by the grace of God, to put your confidence in his future grace. Teach them about his, wonder, his wondrous works. And then let them hear your testimony of how God changed your life. Show them how God has provided for your family, sometimes in seeming miraculous ways. Teach them his wondrous works. 
In fact, Asaph reminds Israel of God's works in verses 9 through 16. We don't have time to look at it, but he says in verse 11 that they forgot his works, the works of verse 12, being drawn out of Egypt, rescued, 13, the Red Sea being divided, the pillar of cloud by day and the fire by night and the water from the rock and and then verse 17, yet they sin still more against him. The message is clear. Don't let the next generation be like that generation. And he's giving this responsibility to parents. As parents, our primary responsibility is to burn into the hearts of our children as we teach them obedience and math and spelling and soccer and everything else. We should teach them that their confidence is only rightly placed when it is placed irrevocably in God, in Christ Jesus. If they miss that, beloved, they miss everything for eternity. So teach them the place to place their confidence in God. This is the central message of the whole Bible. Place your confidence not in man, but in God. This is the very truth Israel failed to pass on to their children. They taught their children to put their confidence in everything but God. They subscribed to the religion of the Jews, Moses' religion, the religion of the true God, but they spent all of their personal time polishing their idols. We tell our children that God is God, don't we? And yet, do we spend our lives polishing our idols of comfort and entertainment and worldly ambition, the accumulation of stuff, or the praises of men? Funny thing about children, though, they learn more from our actions than they do from our words. You may think, well, send them to some program at the church and they'll learn all of this stuff. No, no, they'll learn it if you're living it. And probably to the degree that you're living it. And, and if they learn it, it will all be by the grace of God and the Spirit of God. But the means of that grace is usually the parents. And that points us to the great danger of child training. Look at verse 8. That they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart is not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. We talked about the wonderful purpose of God in child training. Here's the frightening danger. The outcome of Israel's misplaced confidence was that they inherited all the curses that God promised. He promised that if they exchanged his glory for idols, if they dug for themselves broken and empty cisterns instead of running to the fountain of living water who is God himself, that they would inherit all the curses of the law. The word steadfast, verse 8, means to put right. These were religious people, but their hearts weren't right. Their hearts weren't put right. They were religious to the extreme, but they were not careful about the affections of their heart. They did not fix their hearts on the awesome, beautiful, majestic supremacy of God. And so they lost everything. 
They missed out on God's promised blessing. And so you see, the ultimate danger of child training is the danger of neglect. Not that we'll neglect to feed or educate sufficiently or entertain them, but that we'll raise up obedient, well-educated, hard-working American children who get great jobs, move to the suburbs, have a few kids, probably not a lot of kids, but who are absolutely poverty-stricken in the things of God. And the family that is most blessed of the Lord is the family that has set its heart and mind on a Godward course. Their focus is on Christ. Their objective is to make Christ preeminent in their home. And when their confidence is fully set on God, the love of Christ will rule in that home. There's so much more that needs to be said here, and we're out of time. We're about to celebrate the love of God, the ultimate demonstration of the love of God. You know John 3.16. I love the way it's worded in, in the original language. Uh, you know it like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. In the original language, it goes like this. In this manner, God loved the world. He gave his son the only one so that whoever believes in him would have eternal life. I think our children hear that again and again and again. But do we show what it's like to love him? After the office building is done, we have a new conference room to meet in. Can't wait for you to see all of that. But after that, we want to extend a we want to offer an extending, an extended course on parenting. And we'll tell you more about that as it comes. But if you have small children, we don't want you to miss this. And we don't want to do it at night sometime. We want to do it during the Sunday school hour where your children can be someplace safe here and be taught the scriptures as you're being taught the scriptures. I remember when Chris and I moved to Fort Worth with our three little ones, uh, we thought we were pretty good parents until we got down here and there were a couple of other families and we realized we had no idea what we were doing. And I praise God for the influence that he brought into our lives to teach us the things we didn't know, the things that the word of God requires, the things that the ways the word of God requires to, uh, uh, has promised to bless us. And now looking back how we have been blessed, so blessed because God has been so gracious. We want to teach you the means of grace. We want to teach you what it, what it means to do the very thing that Asaph is calling you to do. If you've been negligent in pouring your little ones to God, I just want to say something else to you. There is grace for you. I told my wife the other day, you know, Jesus says, um, believe and keep on believing right? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe and keep on believing. It also says repent and keep on repenting. I like the believe and keep on believing part. But the repent and keep on repenting, it's just a reality in my life. Just a reality in my life. I've got to repent and keep on repenting. 
Because my heart, we sang it this morning, prone to wander. We didn't sing that this morning. Did we? Prone to wander, Lord. I thought it was ringing recently in my ears. Prone to wander, Lord. I feel it. Prone to wander. Prone to be blown off course. May God give us the grace. And may we be willing to receive the grace so that we will joyfully repent and keep on repenting in all the ways that we need to and to teach our children to do the same. Let's pray. Father, we thank you now that your grace toward us comes to us through the humility of Christ, how he, in his active obedience, fulfilling all righteousness as a man, and in his passive obedience, how he let them nail him to the cross in our place, in our place condemned he stood, and we believe that. And now we are preparing our hearts to celebrate it because that's what the Lord's Supper is for. Lord, I pray that no one in this room would despair because of their sin, but rather that they would bring it to you, all of it, no matter how large or small a bundle of sin it may be, lay it at your feet. May you remind them that God doesn't justify the righteous, he justifies the ungodly. May you grant them salvation, or may you grant them fatherly forgiveness, and all of it to the praise of your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.